Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right. We are back. Another episode. Uh, normally, I say we're live when we're not really live. I'm going to stop saying that, but now it's just an inside joke. So anyway, <laughs> we are live with Naaman Khan, CMO at Zeppelin. Uh, Naaman, you have an amazing background. I mean, our, our paths crossed very briefly while you were the, the VP of marketing at Dropbox and we were working with Dropbox, but then you moved on to become the CMO at Zeppelin. You're an advisor to Miro and Notion. Um, previous to that, you know, Salesforce VP. So first off, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you. Well, thanks, Eli. And thanks for the kind introduction. It always feels like you're a celebrity when you're on your show. So thanks for making me feel that way. <laughs> oh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this. I mean, you, your background, you've had these very successful stints at larger companies. And then here you are, you threw yourself into this relatively early stage, certainly compared to the past Y Combinator company. Like what went through your head? How did you, how did you approach that? And as a marketer, what intrigued you to make that shift? Well, it definitely wasn't the plan. Like, as you <laughs> rightfully say, like going from like big companies to a company that was just at a seed stage was never my plan. And when the Zeppelin opportunity sort of was presented to me, I immediately said, this, you've got the wrong person. Like I, I wouldn't even know what vendors to work with for an early stage company. Like you have, you've got me confused with someone else. Um, and it's really only when I allowed myself to learn a little bit more, a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened is that what I saw on the surface ended up being very different than what was under the hood. So that I only learned after I spent a little bit of time, um, you know, investigating. And then the second thing I learned is that there's a real need for companies at this stage for someone who's been doing this a while like me. So the first thing that I learned is that Zeppelin, although it's like a, they've taken a seed round, Y Combinator you know, from 2015, they're actually more like a C or D stage company. They have pretty significant ARR in the tens of millions and on a good path to 100 million in ARR. 
They are profitable, which doesn't really happen that often. They've got like a ton of cash in the bank and have not needed to take around. Um, they have 4 million registered users. They have you know, hundreds of thousands of actives. Um, 7 million designs are published to Zeppelin every 30 days. Like they're not like what I would think of as a seed round, which is like under a million in ARR, like three people in a garage somewhere in like Palo Alto. So like, when I scratched into the surface, I was like, wow, this is more like a, like a, like a MailChimp or like one of those companies that got to a hundred million in ARR without taking funding. And I just relied on my network of people who know a lot more about startups than I do. And when I told them about Zeppelin, they're like, that's rare. You should really think about that. And then the second part was just, they also were pretty strong for a couple of use cases, but their best customer, best customers used them for like 10 other things that no one really knew about. And that intrigued me as a marketer because that really is a perception shift opportunity where you want all of your customers using you like your best customers. And I thought there's something here. And I love the design space. You know, I'm a bit of a design junkie. I'm a wannabe in that department. And so just working with designers is a ton of fun. So yeah, that was sort of the backstory of how this all, this all happened. Wow. I love that. And it is. It's so, it's so funny how, you know, in the Valley, especially we just, quickly look to see what series, you know, oh, there's series D or whatever. It just kind of puts people in a bucket really quickly. And so when you see a company like that, where you guys are what, close to a hundred, north of a hundred people, tens of millions in the ARR, like you, you see seed funding as the only round and you just assume like, oh, super early, but um, no, it's really special. So I'm curious then, you know, you said that when you were first joining, the thing as a marketer, one of the things as a marketer that really intrigued you was that some of the most interesting use cases were at the time maybe an edge case. Did I hear that right? Not so much. It's just a, mat- a level of maturity of usage. So, like, um, what that means is like, uh, and I'll have to explain a little bit about our space. So, just hopefully please, it's not yeah, too, please. Too, too boring. Jump in. But Zeppelin is typically thought of as a design tool. And the irony is it's not a design tool. You can't design anything in Zeppelin. Like, that's the irony that I ran into when I first learned about Zeppelin. What I learned when I spoke to users and I spoke to about 50 uh, users in my first sort of few weeks at Zeppelin, just to understand like, why is it that you hired Zeppelin? Like, what is it that it does for you and what benefit and all that good stuff? Like, what I learned is that when companies build products, they build apps, like we'll use our favorite example of Airbnb, Uh, you know, when they're building this app, uh, there are lots of phases. There's a, a phase where someone comes up with an idea. There's an ideation. Maybe we should have an app that will allow someone to book a hotel in like three taps on their mobile device. Okay. And then maybe there's some like ideation and prototyping and wireframing and all this good stuff. And then ultimately someone designs something. And once they've designed something, they iterate on that for a while. And then once the design is all done, then someone needs to build it. Like there are all these phases in the product development lifecycle. Hopefully it's not too. Um, surprising to people. What Zeppelin does is it helps move the design from like a wonderful kind of image that's been very well thought fully designed for the user, move it from that into an app that lives in code. And right now, that translation between let me show you this wonderful design to I've got something running in my code, code repo. Zeppelin is the thing in between. And so that was just a really fascinating business problem for me because right now, no one really solves that thing in the middle. And that thing in the middle is what Zeppelin does. And we have like amazing users, right? We have like amazing enterprise companies, all the awesome logos you can imagine are using Zeppelin to build these products. And so 
it was just a fascinating problem uh, that I wanted to spend more time on. Wow. Interesting. And so with that, I mean, did you have to... Was the company already positioned to capture that opportunity or... Like how how did you begin to approach how the company was positioned in the market and, and how you communicated all of that value? Yeah, that's a good question. Like as a marketer, like uh, one of the things I wanted to know is like what do people think Zeppelin does? And I got a pretty consistent answer. People said, "Oh yeah, Zeppelin is the handoff tool. When you've got designs and you want to hand them off to developers, you use Zeppelin. It's a handoff tool." And I thought, okay, well that's awesome. Like, what do you mean by handoff? What I learned is what people mean when they say handoff is they actually mean technical specifications. Technical specifications are basically like data that the developer needs to build your app. So if you're designing a wonderful Airbnb app, the developer needs to know what colors are you using on that block? What is the font you're using? What is the font size? What is the gradient? What is the spacing between layers of your design? These are all specs. And when people said handoff, they really meant specs. And I was like, hmm, okay, is that all that Zeppelin does? And when I spoke to you know all of these users, what I learned is that our best customers don't even really use us for specs. They use us for a bunch of other capabilities that Zeppelin has that the market doesn't think about when they think of Zeppelin. And that's when we completely changed our positioning as a company. Um, based on all that customer inquiry, we put together a messaging and positioning framework with four pillars. Those four pillars map back to four key challenges that users face. They all have use cases in them. They have uh, ideal customer profiles in them. Then we have four solution pillars. We have reasons to believe or product features that make those solution pillars real. We have verbatims from users that explain how our product helps them achieve those things. All of that stuff doesn't have anything to do with specs. And so, you know, based upon all of this truth from users, we actually defined our category. And Zeppelin is really now about design delivery. It's not about specs. So when people think of Zeppelin, I don't want them to think, oh, yeah, that's the handoff tool for specs. I mean, no. I mean, you could use Zeppelin for that. But if you are, you are probably giving up 90% of the value that it provides. And we have great teams that actually use us for that 90%. Autodesk. There's a great agency called Super Formula that build amazing apps for amazing companies around the world. And they, you know, they couldn't exist without Zeppelin. And so, you know, that messaging and positioning framework, like it, it, it's like a simple thing, right? It's like a table. It's like two pages. It looks simple, but it's sort of like, I always call it like the iceberg under the waterline. Like you see the table, but below it under the waterline, there's like, like an ocean of like so much work. data and <laughs> use cases. Like, and I'm not a designer. And so like, I had to be credible with people that have been in the space for like, you know, decades. And so it's really this position framework that allowed me to do that. And it's based on this, that we created this category. And we actually even updated our entire company organization, like our engineering team organized into four pods that map to the four solution pillars. Like that's how impactful like a positioning framework can be. Like it provides clarity on like, what is it that you do here? And like, if that's your value prop, what features do you have to achieve it? And what are you going to do next year? What are you going to do? What are you shipping this year to make this pillar even stronger, right? Like, it's that type of a rigor that I think like marketing can really have. It's amazing. Sometimes it's the most simple things or the things that appear to be the most simple that can have the most impact in marketing, probably in most things, but uh, certainly in marketing. All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. 
For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm, so I'm curious, you, correct me if I'm wrong here, you were the first marketing hire. That's right. So how did you, there, I mean, there's so much out there on building an initial growth marketing, you know, sales, you fill in the blank, but early revenue teams. I'm really interested to hear, especially with your background with these larger companies, how you chose to organize and maybe if you can, if you can go into the why of which roles you picked to roll up, roll out first and why? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And for me, being a first time CMO, like a lot of this was, you know, learning for me um, and making choices based upon like informed kind of data, I guess. Um, when I looked at building out sort of our marketing function, um, there are a couple of inputs. So the first one is I grew up in marketing in the product marketing function and that discipline, that was really the archetype that uh, Zeppelin was actually looking for as a PMM centric uh, CMO. And so the very first thing I invested in was the PMM function. We hired a great uh, person to lead our PMM team. Uh, we have roles where we have a PMM that's mapped pretty closely to product, working on core messaging and positioning, core content, pricing and packaging, all that good stuff. And then another PMM that's focused on growth, another PMM that's focused on our sales team and content enablement. And I really consider that to be the engine room of marketing. Um, that's where like the clarity around like, how do we define what we do? Like, where are we going with our roadmap? How is that connected to the product roadmap? How is that connected to the market changes and comp competitive forces? Like that's sort of the engine room. And so that was the first thing to invest in. The second thing was to invest in an engine that actually had already been there uh, before I got there. And that's the community. The reason, one of the reasons that Zeppelin was able to get to such a scale with you know, all of these millions of users and like very healthy ARR and, you know, growing at like very high rates is because of the community the designer and developer community. They needed a handoff tool. They recognized that Zeppelin was a really great one, maybe or probably the best one, um, and they used it. They told other designers about it and without any marketing at all, it grew to where it had, you know, where it is. Um, and so as a marketer, I didn't want to lose that. That's a significant asset. And so we have um, what we call a community team uh, and they're made up of a handful of product evangelists and audience evangelists. And so we have people who focus on the developer audience, people who focus on the designer audience. And we're actually growing that team. Like when I joined, it was basically me. And we'll you know end this year, hopefully closer to 14 people in marketing. Community is a big part of that. And then finally, content. The design community is a little unique. And maybe when people hear that, they may say, you know, I have that issue too. Maybe they're not that unique. But um <laughs> The reason I say unique is they don't respond well to paid. And so sending, you know, a UX designer, a, a, a promoted ad on a tool is probably not going to win them over. They would much rather read a very useful piece of content that helps them how to organize their screen variants, for example. And if that article endorses a certain tool to do that, that is like far more useful to them. Um, and you'll see that in our space, in the product design space, vendors typically don't do a lot of paid media. I think a, there's a little bit that goes on, but 
it's not like a big part of their go to market. It really is content. It really is SEO optimized and like engagement optimized content. And so that was the third part is you know, we hired a great content marketing strategist. We actually are hiring more people to build out content. We hired a great agency to begin building content for us. We have a vendor who works on content. Uh, she's out in, uh, in Europe. And so, you know, blogs, instructional content, case studies, that's sort of the third area that we wanted to build uh, the team around. And it's really only recently in January that I've also now started investing in growth marketing. You know, the majority of our revenue comes through self-service as a product-led growth company. And so we hired an amazing growth marketer uh, who's leading the marketing, the growth marketing team, investing in, you know, uh, acquisition programs, uh, you know, set up our data warehouse. Now we have like really, really great uh, instrumentation around product usage. Uh, we use Mixpanel and um, being able to run like acquisition experiments, being able to run uh, paid conversion experiments, being able to run like retention experiments. That's sort of the fourth uh, team that we stood up. So yeah, I, I mean, there's still way more to do. Uh, we have a big launch coming up this uh, summer. We're you know working on that. We want to do our like first user conference later on this uh, fiscal year. So we're looking forward to that. Um, so as much as I am proud of like what we've done in sort of the first 10 months or so that I've been here, golly, there's like, you know, three times as much that I want to do. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that always the case? It's like, you know, you can only be in so many places all at once and, uh, that's, that's neat. So what, um, what are some challenges that maybe you didn't expect to run into that you did? And then you had to kind of work your way through. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, Wow, I wish I'd prep for this more, more <laughs> elegant answer. But like challenges, I'd say the first one is, you know, um, the persona that one of the personas that we target, the product designer, I've really learned more about. And one of the things I've observed, and I guess this is going to be somewhat of an informed opinion, is that designers tend to identify themselves with the tools they use. And this is very interesting to me. Like when I think about other personas, like if you're a sales leader, like you're a sales leader, you are, you know, in my time at Salesforce, like you build pipeline, you close pipeline, there's a sales process you use, you know how to manage a funnel and forecast. Like there are certain functional competencies you like basically, uh, you know, attribute yourself to. With product designers, they really um, identify themselves with the tool that they use. So it's less about like, I know how to do this. And it, it's more about like, well, I use this tool to do those things. And while that may feel like a subtle difference, it's pretty impactful because what I have learned is that, hey, like if you are committed to a certain tool, like you will like, you will use that tool and like you will find ways to do what you want with that tool. Like you're kind of committed to that tool. And I think for us, like we're not a design tool. We integrate with all of the design tools. And so what, what for a marketer, what we really need to do is make sure we clarify how we build value on top of the tool they use. So if you're using Adobe XD, how do we make Adobe XD plus Zeppelin better? If you're using Sketch, how do we make Sketch plus Zeppelin better? If you're using Figma, how do you use Figma and uh, Zeppelin together better? So just understanding that like there's going to be like an aptitude for the tool and it's understandable right like you invest a bunch of your time in learning a tool you become proficient in that tool you're kind of dedicated to that tool like i get it and and so you know the the persona and the tool being so tightly connected i think was like pretty interesting for me i, I had not really run into that as like an attribute of a of, a, of an audience before and it like i said it really affects how you position your your value prop 
So shifting gears, I'm curious. I mean, you've had an amazing career thus far. And, you know, it sounds like you're going in an incredible direction with Zeppelin and, and helping them achieve success. What, um, who are some of the folks who along your own journey have been influential for you, either as a marketer or even just a human, um, as you've progressed? As a marketer, as a human. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, I can start with the marketers because, um, as, as kind as you are and all this praise, Eli, like it's, it's, it, it it's, um, it's never really as glamorous, I think, from the other side. Like, of course, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I've learned most things the hard way, and I feel like I've like mostly made mistakes that I've learned from. But I'd say like there are several people that I admire. If I go kind of in reverse, I can I can drop some names. I guess I don't I don't mean to. No, I think like the the last um, manager that I had at Dropbox was a person named Yamini Rangan. She's uh, the chief customer officer of HubSpot now. Um, I reported to Yami for two years when I was at, at Dropbox and it was definitely a career highlight. Like it was my first couple of weeks. It was like, I was like pretty nervous about reporting to Yamini. Like I remember my first one-on-one uh, or my, I think it was the second one-on-one I was going through my agenda, I had, like a structured agenda. And I had like a blocker I was telling her about, I was like, so here's the blocker. Like I'm trying to get this thing done and this team, we're not aligned on objectives. And I'm like, blah, 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 like hitting a brick wall. And I don't blah, blah, blah. And I like, kind of giving her this thing. And she kind of looked at me and once I stopped talking, she said, okay, and what are you doing about that? And there was this like, kind of like awkward silence for me. And I, I felt like saying, well, I mean, can't you do something about it? Isn't that like what we're doing here? Like I'm telling you where I'm blocked and like, can't you fix this? And I thought like, this is going to be a tough reporting relationship. And it started like that. And it ended with like, you know, when I moved on from Dropbox and Game up, I'm like, I miss working with Yamini. Like she really upped my game. Like there's this something called Extreme Ownership. There was like a book, I think, called Extreme Ownership that we all read. And it really just talks about like really taking ownership for things and like thinking through. And it doesn't mean you can't ask for support, of course, but you have to come up with like a support plan and give people like very specific things you need them to do. You can't just like outsource the solution to someone else, right? Like th that's like a level of operating rigor that I didn't have. And yeah, I mean, it really upped, upped my expectations on myself. Um, and so I, uh, I'm very grateful, you know, for that kind of an experience. Like I could feel myself just like operating at a different gear that I really hadn't challenged myself to do before. Prior to that, like I would say at Salesforce, there's a, my manager there, Sarah Varney, uh, who's the CMO at Twilio now. See, I'm name dropping. Um, was a highlight for me too. Like Sarah just like was, is a joy to work with and like always super, super positive, like brilliant marketer, like knows the, knows the craft and everything, like no problem. But on top of that, just like, just very positive. Like our team culture was amazing. One of the best team cultures I've ever worked in. Everyone really supported one another. Like I remember there was this one time we were heading up to like a big Dreamforce uh, event. Everyone's like kind of bonkers, crazy. And I remember like someone in our, uh, back when we were in the office, like someone in our kind of bullpen area, I think it was like, I don't know, sometime in the afternoon, kind of leaned back in her chair and kind of like let out this kind of outburst. She's like, oh my God, I'm never going to get all this work done. There's no way I'm going to meet this deadline. Like she was kind of ranting a little bit. And I kid you not, like three people from our bullpen left their chairs, went up to her and said, what can I do? Give me something I can take on for you. Like, what can I do? What can I do? I remember taking note of that. I remember thinking like, what a wonderful culture we have. Like, like, where does that really happen? Where like people just want to like 
make it better for all of us, right? And I attribute that back to the culture that, you know, Sarah built for us. It was just a wonderful collaborative culture. So that was like a super big highlight for me. Um, and then if I go back maybe one more further, like there were lots of great experiences, I would say, at, at Microsoft. And those were particularly around people who knew how to manage like multi-billion dollar businesses at scale. And so people like really taught me how to be like the GM of a product line at Microsoft. It's kind of like the Procter & Gamble way of marketing, right? Like, you know, if you move the box of tied three millimeters on the shelf, you know what the impact <laughs> on contribution margin is going to be like. People that, you know, the marketing managers at P&G knew how to do that. And I just don't think that's a thing in B2B SaaS quite yet, but it's getting there. And Microsoft was like that. Like managers would help me understand, like, Naaman, if, you know, Windows Server attach on the Dell XPS 735 in Australia is down seven points, you should know why. And I would be like, what are you talking about? Like, how would I, how would I know why? But you can know why. And it's very data driven. Like you're basically managing a significant operational kind of back end to understand what's going on in the market. And then you can make pricing, packaging, channel decisions. And I mean, there are too many people there for me to mention, but like there were a lot of really great kind of GM oriented marketers. Um, and I, I carry that with me wherever I go, right? Like I have a dashboard now. I look at it every morning. I, it's tracking KPIs. It's tracking ARR. Like. You know, I, I have all of those great experiences uh, to thank um, for, for helping me learn how to do any of this stuff. I love it. It's, uh, it's always, it's amazing when you can map it back to specific kind of memories and takeaways too. I think that those are, uh, those are great stories to have shared. I guess my last question for you is just, what do you do? What do you do for fun that keeps you fresh and energized and kind of bringing your best to the team? <laughs> Uh, let's see. I think in this past year or so, like, I think one of the benefits has been, um, we spend like more time as a family, certainly, and we've started getting active again. And so we joined like this tennis club near where we live and we like play tennis as a family. And like, for those of you who are like tennis players or like into any sport, it's just a very uh, personal thing for me. Like I grew up loving tennis and I would play like four or five times a week. It was like my happy place on earth. And I'd like, I was the happiest being out there. Um, and now to be able to like, walk on a court with my spouse and our two girls and we're like playing tennis and like, you know, they're beating me most of the time now. Like, it's just like an emotional moment. Like it's like something that I love so much seeing them do that is like really, really special. So yeah, I, I love that. And, uh, we also like, um, uh, as a Canadian from Toronto, like we go to having grown up in Toronto, like and living now in the Bay Area, like we go to Los Angeles once in a while. And that may not seem very interesting to people, but like for, for a Torontonian, like LA was always like this, like exotic, glamorous place, right? It was like, you'd see it on TV and stuff. And we go back there, like usually a couple times a year. And every time we're just like, just like Malibu and all these like glamorous places. I just find it, uh, to this day, I find it like really a lot of fun. So those are our two, like little road trips to LA and then like tennis. Man, you're, you make, you make uh, LA sound so enchanting to me. I, I used to live there. I'm like, wow, LA is kind of special. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, listen, Naaman, this has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with me and sharing your story. I'm, I'm very excited to see where uh, you take yourself and where you take Zeppelin and, and we'll, we'll all be watching. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, th well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit. And like, uh, thanks for making me feel so, so special. It doesn't happen that often. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. 